Father, we, uh, we come to you humbly this morning. And God, I ask if there is no, anybody here who is not humble, Lord, that you would work in their heart to be open to hearing your word, to hearing your truth. And God, I ask that you work in our hearts this morning to hear your truth. God, give us clarity of mind, remove the distractions, Help us see that Jesus Christ is worthy to be praised, that he is worthy of all glory and honor and power, that he deserves our attention. God, that we would be emboldened to go out and proclaim the good news to people so that the nations might rejoice and be glad and that they also may uh, go uh, respond in joy and singing your name and your praise. God, we ask that you would come here today. Help me, give me clarity of words, clarity of mind. Open the hearts of the people here to see in your truth where I might fail, that they will be able to connect the dots. God, we know that we need your help, so be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at the first four verses of that chapter of this wonderful book. And while you're turning there, I want to encourage you to remember to pray for Pastor Adam on a weekly basis. I've been working on this for several months, and I can tell you it is not an easy task. And yet, Adam has to do this on a weekly basis for us while he also counsels us and goes to lunch with us, goes to breakfast with us, and then also take care of his family. So do not forget him in your prayers. And also make sure you walk up to him and encourage him and thank him for the hard work that he does. Um, also, I want to say thank you uh, for being the church that you are and the love that you have shown on my wife and I. It's been a great time to be here. We have so much to be thankful for, so many great people that have loved on us, and um, we just ask you to keep doing that. Don't stop. Uh, it's people here are blessed by what you give and the love that you share. So Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Starting in verse 1, it says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making a purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In these verses, I want to show you seven reasons why Jesus deserves our attention. Last week, we had the pleasure of Dr. Clausen sharing with us from Hebrews 12, reminding us why we need to press on as believers, why we need to finish the race with endurance and lay aside 
every sin and the encumbrance that so easily entangles us. We need to lay that aside and look to Jesus. He introduced the book to us. He kind of stole my thunder a little bit. And he said that this book was written to believers, Christians, who were receiving pressure to leave their faith in Jesus Christ. This pressure came from the religious families and culture, a secular culture, the Roman culture. And they were beginning to question whether or not what they had been taught was still right, whether or not Jesus could still save them. And so they needed to be reminded, they needed to be encouraged, and as the introduction in my Bible reads, to encourage them in a time of trial, the writer does so by focusing on the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. See, the world lies, and it wants us to believe that we are our own best image. That in order to be truly happy, we need to find it in ourselves. That God can't provide it because he's distant, because he lies. That's what the devil told Eve in the garden. For God knows that the day that you eat from the tree, you will know both good and evil, almost like he was withholding something. See, the world wants us to believe that God is withholding something from us because they believe that lie. They believe that this age is all there is, that true joy can only be found here. They believe that satisfaction is in the self, that you can live your best life only now. But the reality is we were made for so much more. Something so much greater, someone better. Your soul was made to make much of Jesus. Your soul was made to have joy in Jesus Christ. Your soul was made for someone infinitely better. Someone infinitely more satisfying someone infinitely more true. And yet we are so easily pleased, so easily distracted. After a long day of work, us guys, we want to come home. We just want to flip on the TV, play those video games, ignore our families, not open the Bible, not try to understand who Jesus Christ is or who God is. Because it's convicting, it's hard. And because we believe the lies of this world. And so we also need to be reminded of why Jesus is better and why he deserves our attention. And so in these verses, I believe that there are seven reasons why Jesus deserves our attention. And number one is this. Jesus deserves our attention because he is the better prophet. Look at verses one through two. It says this, long ago, that means centuries, millennia in the past, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, fathers being Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the fathers like David and other fathers who followed after them by the prophets, prophets being Enoch, Noah, Elijah, Elisha, and many others. 
he has spoken or he had spoken by the prophets but in these last days even today he has spoken to us by his son his son being jesus christ jesus is the better prophet because he delivers a final and clear message of hope and salvation he was sent to reveal mysteries the prophets were sent throughout all of history to declare a hope, a message of salvation to people. They had violated, we had violated God's commands. We had broken our relationship with, with God himself. And God sent his prophets to remind them, to draw them back to himself. And there was no confusion to that message. It was very clear. Part of it was a message warning them about judgment. If they continued on the path, turning away from him, they would experience eternal wrath and punishment for their sin. But in that message was also a message of grace and truth, of hope, that there was salvation. And God delivers it, and he will deliver it. And these prophets were sent to deliver that message See, their message, though, was only partial. There was still a good bit of mystery to the message. The prophets didn't understand who or when was going to bring that message or when it was going to happen. And they looked longingly into the scriptures. They looked longingly wondering at what time and who would be that person. And so here in these verses, the writer tells us that Jesus is the revelation is the prophet bringing that final message of hope and salvation. He brings it with finality. He brings it with clarity. Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill it, to help us understand what God had been saying for centuries, showing how God saves his people from their sin and death. This is the best news in the world. A news of hope that we no longer live in a system bound by rules and regulations that were impossible to keep, but we now have a prophet who reveals all mysteries. And his name is Jesus Christ. So you can know this. You can know that you can find in him finality, that you can find in him clarity, that you can find in him security and hope and joy forevermore. And how do you do this? First, you go to him in prayer. And you get on your knees and you ask him for forgiveness and you ask him for help. You ask him to clarify the words in the text in the Bible you ask him to show you what he's been saying and what he is saying. And then you turn to his word. Secondly, you turn to his word. You open those pages and you read for yourself what he, what he said when he was here on earth and then what he said through the apostles. Jesus is our clarity and he is our finality in what has been said or has been said through the years past. So number one, Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better prophet. Number two, Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better king. Look at verse two. 
In these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he, God, appointed the heir of all things. The term heir is a royal reference. The readers would have understood this. They knew about the coming messianic king who had been prophesied to come into the world. And the pressure from their from the Judaistic system of that time was pressuring them, trying to convince them that it was false, it was wrong. God had made a promise, which really started back in Genesis 49, where Israel blessed Judah. But God made a clear promise to David that he would raise up your offspring, David's offspring after him, who shall come from his body. And I, God, will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father, and he shall be a son. That was a promise made to David in Second Samuel 7. And God also said through Jeremiah that, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. There was a promise made to all of mankind through the prophets and the Jews, Israel, was the bearers of that oracle. That promise was that God was going to bring a king and he would reign over all things, as the verse here says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. All things means the universe, the earth, the heavens we see and do not see. The kingdom Christ is given is way broader than what any other king has been given. No king could claim that. Do you know of a king that rules over the universe? That can even claim to do that? Every king and ruler that has existed has only had a group of people in a finite kingdom. But Jesus' kingdom reigns over all, everything. And every king has died since, but Jesus lives eternally. And here we see that God keeps his promises. So don't you ever think that God doesn't keep promises, because he does. And if you question whether or not God is going to help you, look to his promises. Look to the joy in his promises and his fulfillment of those promises. Specifically, look to Jesus as the proof that he fulfills what he promised to David. The fulfillment of a better king, the one who is righteous, and so you can trust him who will reign with grace, truth, and mercy. He is a loving and compassionate king. And he will welcome all who come to him in repentance and faith. So, one, Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better prophet. Two, Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better king. And number three... Jesus deserves your attention because he's the better agent. Verse 2, it also says, through whom also God created the world, through being the agency 
whom, being Jesus, also God created the world. Here it says, really, that God created, um, uh, some translations use the word universe, but really it's ages in the original language. It's all time. It's, it expands anything that's physical. He created more than the physical. Jesus is the agent by which God created everything, even time itself, which means he planned every event that has ever happened. And he is planning and fulfilling every event that will happen. How is this possible? How is it that he could do this, that he could be the agent? Well, it must mean that he existed before creation, before the beginning of time. And we know that is true because of John chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So who can compare? I mean, at this point, there's really no one to compare him to. There's no one like him. He created the ages. He planned the ages. He is fulfilling the ages. And we were created in that to enjoy him forever. We get to be a part of that. God on high, the amazing God of the universe, has brought us into his plan to partake in the joys that he is about to reveal. I, it just blows my mind. I, 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 can't, I can't understand why he would take me, a sinful human being, and make me a part of something so glorious and so wonderful. And so Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better prophet. He's the better king. He's the better agent. Four, Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better revelation. Look at verses, or sorry, verse three. He is the radiant of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There are three statements that explain why he's the better revelation. Number one, he displays God's glory. Number two, he displays God's nature. Number three, he displays God's power. No other revelation compares to his revelation because this is where God gets intimate with humanity. So number one, he is the radiance of the glory of God. In other words, he displays God's glory. He puts it on for display for everyone to see, meaning he lived his life out in a way, he lived, his, sorry, he lived out his life in a way such as to display grace and truth. Not like a bright shining light like the sun, but what Isaiah saw when he saw the throne and the heavens, or what John saw in Revelation, and someday he will appear that way, Revelation 1. But here, when Christ came to earth the first time, 
He came to display grace and truth. He came to display the glory of God in a person, in a human flesh. John wrote, We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So whoever said that God set the the universe spinning and walked away and didn't care about us and has never interacted with us is wrong. God came in Jesus Christ. And I'll explain that statement in a minute. He came in Jesus Christ so that he could relate with us on a human level. And he did that by first displaying God's glory in the way he lived out his life. Secondly, he reveals God. He's the better revelation because, uh, number two, he displays God's nature. In other words, he is the exact imprint of God's nature. Imprint here meaning the character or representation. Nature being fundamental essence of God. When I was growing up, my parents used to use the colloquial, oh, look at that character, in reference to somebody who was a goofball. And sometimes we use that. We're like, what a character. And and actors, or we refer refer to actors or characters in movies. We say, or actors will say, I got to get in character for this role uh, where a person needs to put on the display a characteristic of another. Actors will sometimes go so far as to live out during that time of acting, kind of the life that that person was or was at that time that they're putting on display in order to do a better job at displaying the personality. And really, in some ways, they're just faking it. But Jesus doesn't fake it. Jesus doesn't fake it at all because he's God. Because Jesus shares in the deity of God. So Jesus is able to display the very nature of God because he is God because he exactly and perfectly is united with God we get this from John chapter 1 again no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the father's side he the only God has made the father known John 1 17 through 18 Jesus is so in touch with and one with God that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit all have one thought, one word, one heart, one will. Namely, they are one in essence. And so because of that, Jesus is able to perfectly put on display, exactly put on display the nature of God. And I think the writers were right, or the uh, translators were right to put exact imprint in the ESV to to specifically to make it more precise precise to show that Jesus is displaying God because he is God so that when Philip came to Jesus and said show us the father Jesus responded saying to Philip Philip have you been with me this long How can you not see the Father? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Essentially, Philip, if you want to know God, know me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. 
So you want to see the Father, you look to Jesus because he perfectly displays, puts on display the nature of God. And here's the kicker. Someday, for those of us who believe in him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, 2. Someday, we will perfectly experience communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We will get to partake in that oneness. In case you question me on that, go look at John 17 where Jesus prays for the disciples and all those who come after him. Write that down. Go, go look that up. We get to partake in this one, oneness with God. And someday, well, someday it will be perfect. But today, in some ways, we already are experiencing that by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as Romans 8 says. So Jesus puts on, he, he, he puts on display the glory of God. He puts on the display of the nature of God. And he did that physically. And now he's doing it in our hearts by his spirit. Number three, he puts on the display, uh, or he's the better revelation of God because he displays God's power. So the first two were really the physical, how the, Jesus physically represented Christ when he came on earth. This one is how he, how he currently represents God as we live today. He is upholding all things. He displays God's power by being the very one who keeps all things we see today in existence. This all things includes you. He is sustaining your very heartbeat. He is sustaining every molecule in your body. He is also sustaining every tree and plant, the rain, the sunlight, the oceans. He's sustaining the earth and all that lives on it. He's sustaining the sun, the moon, the stars. He's sustaining the universe, upholding everything you see and don't see until he brings it in to fulfillment in the last day. And what a glorious day that will be. It will be all so glorious, and he does all of this sustenance. He upholds all of that by the word of his power. You'll notice that the pronouns are shifting now. It's no longer God and Jesus. It is now Jesus as God, upholding the universe, all things, by the word of his power. This is the very words of Christ upholding all things, just like he created the world in Genesis 1-1, where God said, let there be light. Here, Jesus is also proclaiming, let all things sustain. Let every person's heartbeat sustain until he says, no more. So, Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better prophet. He deserves our attention because he's the better prophet. Uh, uh, King, Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better agent. Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better revelation. By the way, the prophets were revealing some of God throughout all of history. But Jesus reveals God in a person. Not mere words anymore. It's an actual human being. God-man, Jesus Christ. Number... number um, Number five, Jesus deserves your attention 
because he's the better sacrifice. Look at verse 3 again at the last half here. After making a purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Sacrifice because there must be a sacrifice for sins in order to purify sins. What is sin? Sin is a mindset that refers to other things more than God. Sorry, let me restate that. Sin is a mindset that prefers other things more than God. That's a quote from John Piper. Sin is a mindset that refer, prefers other things more than God. Sin is rebellion against God. It is filthy, and it makes one dirty, like dirty clothes when you get in the mud, but worse, because it condemns you to eternity in hell. And there needs to be a purification for it so that you don't have to go there. Sin is pervasive. No one except Jesus Christ is exempt. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus, here in this text, is the one who is able to make a purification of those sins because he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for anyone who would believe. In the old system, the Judaistic system, the sacrifices of animals, the sacrifices of blood, uh, or the blood of, gold, um, of <laughs> bulls and goats was insufficient. It couldn't cover a human person. And it was a foretelling of what needed to happen. Namely, that Jesus Christ needed to come and sacrifice himself for us. We needed a perfect human being to come in our place and die for us. It was the only way. And so by doing, he could then purify us of our sins. Sins, no, big and sin small. There is no sin of yours that is too big for him. There is no sin that will escape him either. There's no sin that's too small. I've had people come to me and say, oh, I've sinned too great. There's no hope. That's wrong. Jesus can take away our sins because he lived out that perfect life, the one perfect life, and he is the one who offered up his blood as a means by which we are purified. Therefore, you can run to him in hope. And you only need to believe. You only need to come to him and confess and admit that you need him as your personal savior and purifier of your soul. There is no need to feel like you need to do better works before God will accept you. You know, the world goes around trying to do that, I think, on some level. They try to go do good deeds as if to, like, cleanse their conscience. But it's insufficient. Jesus is the sufficiency of what we need to cleanse our hearts and make us right before God, and he does that for us by purifying sins. Trying to do it on our own is like trying to clean a towel with dirty water. It's just not going to happen. 
But Jesus, I, I know I've said his name a lot, but really, I mean, Jesus purifies us. What a beautiful name. I, I, what a merciful Savior. And we can find joy in that. And that is why, really, he deserves our attention. He deserves our attention because he's the better prophet. He deserves our attention because he's the better king. He deserves our attention because he's the better agent, because he's the better revelation, because he's the better sacrifice. Number six, Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better priest. If you read that same part of the verse, it says that after he made the purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I'm really drawing on two words here. Sat down. He sat down. It's not so much as to where he sat. That's important for sure. I'll get to that in a minute. But it's that he sat down. No priest before him could sit down permanently. All the priests in the old Levitical system had to minister hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. They, there was no rest to their service. But here, Jesus Christ sat down after offering that one sacrifice that made a permanent purification for sins. Meaning, Jesus rested from his work. Just like God rested from creating the world, Jesus now rested from completing the sacrifice for sins. And we too are able to enter that rest. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest that Jesus provides for us. And oh, the great rest that it is, the comfort that it provides the weight that is lifted off when we realize that Jesus can be that rest for us. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he is able to provide that rest. None of the priests prior were able to provide that rest. Only Jesus Christ is able to provide that rest, and he symbolizes that by sitting down at the right hand of God. He actually sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which means he was able to enter the heavens where no other priest was able to enter. I mean, the priest couldn't even enter the most holy place in the temple except once a year. And then when they entered, they had to quickly get out or they would have been killed. But Jesus is able to enter the presence of God because he is God and sit down at his right hand. So Jesus deserves our attention because he's the better prophet, he's the better king, he's the better agent, he's the better revelation, he's the better sacrifice, and he's the better priest. Finally, Jesus deserves your attention or our attention because he's the better mediator. Look at verse having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, more excellent than 
the angels. Better because he inherited a better name than the angels. Not inherited the name of son, but rather the position and the authority he received as the God-man Jesus Christ. As king, as priest, as mediator. The angels were part of a mediation of the old covenant, but Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. If you read in Hebrews, well, the remainder of Hebrews 1 and on into chapter 2, it explains exactly that. Jesus didn't come to die for the angels. He didn't come die for a third of the angels that fell out of heaven. He came to die for, y- for you, for me, for the world. And the angels didn't come to die for you. Jesus came to die for you. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived that perfect life as I've been saying. And he proclaimed the good news of salvation to us and to all prior in the last 2,000 years. And by, by, and by doing that, he is more able to help those of us who are tempted as he has been tempted in every way as is us, but without sin. He never gave in to that temptation. The angels aren't able to help us in that way. They aren't able to sympathize with our sin. But Christ, Jesus Christ, is able because he knows what that temptation is like. So if you're ever in the bouts of temptation, if you're ever in that moment struggling, wondering, how do I get out? How do I move on? I'm so, I'm, I'm in the fog of it. I, I can't see, I can't lift this weight from me. As, as Dr. Clausen said last, last week, look to Jesus, the author and what? Perfecter, finisher of our faith. Jesus is able to help because he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, who, though he was in the form of God, as Philippians 2 says, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross, Jesus inherited a better name, a better position, a better title than the angels because he humbled himself. You want to know how to be humble? You want to know what it means to be a Christian? Look to Jesus who did not enforce his position as God, but instead he looked on us with pity and with love and with mercy and grace and came down in the likeness of human flesh and lived out that one perfect life for us so that we might experience experience everlasting joy in heaven with him for all eternity. Jesus Christ is your eternal Retirement plan. No, he's much more than that. 
He is, he's your hope and your joy and your salvation. So draw near with confidence to his throne of grace that we may receive that mercy, that you may receive that mercy of grace and help in time of need, in time of temptation. So I leave you with really four questions. Four questions that I challenge you to go home or, or think about today, this week. Take it home with your family. Sit down with your kids. Ask these questions. Number one, does Jesus have your attention? He deserves it. I, I, gave, I, I only gave you seven reasons. Jesus is, has infinite reasons for why he deserves our attention. So does he have it? Or are you distracted by the TV? Are you distracted by the news? Are you distracted by the worries and concerns of what's going on in our government? Are you worried that the comforts of your life right now are getting a little shaken up? Are you being tempted to give up on what you know to be true? Number two, have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm really pleading with those who are unsure or maybe who think they are but are not living a life free from sin. Jesus said, I quoted it in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. This is my wife's favorite verse. It's one of the verses that she keeps going back to. Jesus is willing and able to lift the burden of sin off your back. Stop striving for something you can't attain. Instead, go to him. Number three, do you take seriously God's word? In Hebrews 12, he says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. See to it that you do not refuse Jesus who is speaking. There's much that can be said about that. But number four, for the sake of time, are you drawing near to the throne of grace? Hebrews 4, therefore, like I said, or read, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So take those questions home to your families. Take them home. Work through them in your heart. Um, on the flyer here, I've put verses and references. Open your Bible and, and look at these references to see the promises of God as they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And with that, let me close in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus Christ. It is a humbly thing to come to you, a humbling thing to come to you. And God, we are so insufficient in ourselves. We need Jesus Christ to cleanse us of our sins. We need Jesus Christ because he is our only hope. And God, I ask that you would work in our hearts to believe this and that we would come to you, confess our sins, because you are faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins from all unrighteousness. And God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for Pastor Adam and the elders. And we just ask that you would bless them 
Bless them as they go out today. Use them this week in their work, in their jobs. In Jesus' name, amen.